0: Well welcome back to the Zeitcast everybody. I am so pleased because I knew from the beginning when I thought about this podcast and I thought about what I wanted to be that like the, the quintessential guest, like the person that for me most fits all the kind of weird intersections that we talk about, all the strange intersections that I live at. Is none other than Sarah Bessie, who, in addition to being my dear friend, is absolutely one of my favorite writers. She's an incredible speaker, an incredible preacher, and just an amazing human being. So, um, Sarah, I'm not trying to like um, embarrass you too much here, but her new book is coming out here within just a few weeks. It's it's what's the date again? October? October 8th. October 8th, and I'm so thrilled about this book. I did endorse it, so I thought by way of introduction, if that's all right, Sarah, I'm just gonna briefly read that endorsement because I'm so just ridiculously, insanely happy about this book. So my endorsement of Sarah Bessie's new book, Sarah Bessie's Miracles and Other Reasonable Things is immediately one of my favorite books. I can't think of a single other work that brings together such raw, vulnerable pain with such a real sense of enchantment. Sarah is not too pious to tell us the truth about suffering but not too cool to tell us the truth about the magic either. In this trailblazing, bush-burning book, anything can happen. The Pope shows up, and God does too, except, of course, when God does it. Sarah, I am so excited about this new book, and I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Oh, I'm incredibly happy to be here. and so happy to see you and be a part of all of this. I'm just... Grateful, really grateful. And thank you for the kind words about the book. I mean, you and I have walked a lot of this journey alongside of each other. Mm. So, um, yeah, it just meant a lot to me, and I appreciate it.
0: Well, it's a really special book. I haven't even said, by the way, we were catching up earlier, but I didn't say to the folks who are listening and or watching, because obviously this setting is unfamiliar, that I'm actually at Mark Lowry's house. Yes, that is the Mark Lowry from Gaither Vocal Band fame i had him i saw him and do stand-up comedy after the uh our, our state camp meeting and had him sign my vhs tape the year before he, j- he joined the gaithers like in 1987 <laughs> so <laughs> that is fantastic isn't that great <laughs> so it's pretty awesome that we get to do this all together
1: well, I was wondering about the origin of the green screen. If you were going to have like a background of dinosaurs or TBN behind you, you
0: know, I thought about like, it.
1: Photo, Photoshop in the the gold setting.
0: See, this is actually of Mark's backyard. So, and and we are at the house. So it's kind of a thing. But I did think about that. Is that maybe there should be dinosaurs or like you know? I had
1: Adam riding a dinosaur. Really <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> did you grow up believing in dinosaurs, Sarah? Did you believe that dinosaurs existed? <laughs>
1: You know what? I almost don't remember sometimes some of yeah. the things we came. Our family came to faith a little bit later okay, because we were in Canada. Yeah, I think sometimes I got to skip some of the, you know, aspects of faith that maybe came along with uh, a very literal reading of scripture.
0: Yes. Yes. So you had <laughs> no. science and everything.
1: Well, you know, to, to that, to a certain extent.
0: That's amazing. <laughs> I love that. Um, in terms of coming to faith, and you talked about how we've walked a lot of this journey together, which you really have. Um, I just, th- one of the reasons this book is so special to me, Sarah, is that you, like me, have this very Pentecostal, charismatic background, and, you know, the, the, there is that sense in the book of having these kind of experiences of God that are very other. So maybe before skipping ahead, I love that there's a a book that's literarily speaking, is this beautifully written and like all of that, but that takes that kind of enchantment seriously. I mean, all of that is very much in that book. Like you, you, you believe in all the things. Is that fair to say? You believe in the stuff.
1: Yeah, I do. I think that that's one of the things that I often felt lonely for. Mm. Um, When I would read a lot of spiritual memoir, I would read the books that meant so much to me is I didn't often see our experiences um, reflected back. to me in in a way that was really meaningful or felt real uh there were definitely places and people who did for sure I'm not saying that there was like you know nothing or anything like that or but there was this sense of um I don't know I feel like sometimes the further I have moved into um you know what some people would call deconstruction which I don't love that word but Mm. for our purposes um the thing that has surprised me the most is how it has made me more charismatic yeah I know, I thought that those practices, so the stuff, right, the things about healing and miracles, and um, you know, your your words or speaking in tongues or you know, all of these kinds of things, I thought those would be the first things to go. Mm-hmm. You know, when you are kind of figuring out what to carry with you or what to leave behind. And so it was a genuine surprise to me that I became like even more woo-woo
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> as the
1: process sort of went on and as the further I leaned into it and even that I could hold, continue to hold space for both of those things. Mm-hmm. And a big part of that story and a big part of these last few years and part of why I think the book is so incredibly weird is that it holds space for both. Yeah. It's able to set the experiences with the divine and the miraculous and the, the mystical Mm -hmm. alongside of the absence of them and not demand that to prove either one.
0: Mm -hmm. Why do you think it is Sarah? Because it's, you know, it resonates in my own experience. I mean, I'm even raised in a very Pentecostal tradition. I, I was sort of socialized to believe in those things. But if I'm very honest, always felt like a little bit of an outsider to them. I always felt like I had my face pressed up against the glass and like people had this kind of electricity with the Holy Spirit that I wanted but didn't quite have. Then I felt like in a lot of ways when I imploded and um, my life fell apart and all of these things were sort of sifting, in precise the time where I thought I might lose my grasp on all that entirely, that's when all of that ratcheted up for me tremendously. And I started having those kinds of experiences and continue to have those kinds of experiences in ways that are really surprising to me. So that's another reason why I feel like it was such a deep resonance with you, because I thought like you'd think that'd be the first thing to go. But in fact, it seemed like when everything was going overboard, that's when that when all of that kind of got a hold of me. Why do you think it was for you, or how do you think it was that in the midst of your own sort of deconstruction, that all of that happened the way that it did held on to you the way that it did like what what do you you think what's happening with that
1: you know i think that there's a number of reasons why that is um one of the things that i have learned you know or has been my experience anyway um is that i I ended up actually feeling a, a real closeness to the holy spirit through the experiences that i had i um have given birth to four children mm. we lost four children uh, before birth as well mm. and that experience of pregnancy and birth and loss and you know all of those things kind of creation all of those things we weaving together really opened my eyes to the fact that oftentimes the best work the holy spirit is doing is happening in the dark yeah it's happening off stage. It's happening where it's beyond our understanding or beyond, um, you know, on a, on a level of our soul that is sometimes unknown to us or unwanted. Um, the part of ourselves, you know, that we're trying to keep safely hidden mm-hmm. from everyone else, the mm-hmm. parts of ourselves that we kind of, you know, we present this, you know, aspect of ourselves and really the Holy Spirit is hiding in that really mm-hmm. deep kernel of your, who you are. Yeah. Um, and I think that the experience of being broken open which i think you know if you've been alive for more than a hot second you usually will experience some form of being broken open or having um yourself be part of those people who have unanswered prayers yeah um that is the place where now there is an openness Mm -hmm. Because there's nothing left. It's the blessing of rock bottom. Mm -hmm. It's the blessing of that place of saying, I have, all my answers are gone. The way I understood God is gone. The things that I used to inoculate myself and ignore and hide and numb from the spirit are not here anymore. Mm -hmm. And So you are at that point face to face with God.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes so much sense. Because it's like, you know, I, I understand when people hit a wall. And they feel like God is not there for them in some way. Like, I certainly get that. But at the same time, it's like, I feel like in some of those experiences for me of kind of hitting rock bottom, what really wasn't working for me, maybe even like deeper than faith, was like anything that was in my head. It was like rationalism was it what was working for me. It, Christian rationalism or anything else. Like once you're kind of at the end of yourself in that way. I, I, that, that's exactly how it described for me. It was like just just pure need. Um, I was open to things I think I wouldn't have been open to before, you know, and even experiences that maybe I, I might have, have, or some of them I would have wanted before, almost wanted too much. But now that I was at this place flat on my back where I was just just experienced a complete loss of control, it was like God happened to me in this way that I wouldn't have been prepared for before
1: absolutely and I think that even what you were talking about earlier that experience of being on the other side of the glass and looking through and feeling like you see this I mean coming up in the charismatic renewal movement myself um, it often I I, part of why I recoiled from it and part of why I had my suspicions and my doubts and my side-eye you know (laughs) some of it which you know is definitely warranted um, was because it could felt it felt like the point yeah or it felt performative or it felt selfish even. Um, That's a blanket statement, obviously, that's not true for everyone. But Mm. I think the point when it stops being performative and stops being the point and starts being um, a thin place where you're meeting with with God in some capacity, um, beyond words, Mm. beyond rationalism, beyond all of your answers and your neat little index cards and your if this, then that, you know, sort of ways of understanding God, um, the tenderness of that feels very um, intimate. And that Hmm. to me is what that space can almost become because then it's not about getting your answer or ticking a box or getting your way. Right, it's about the love, experiencing and and, and um, abiding and being sustained within that love of God. Mm-hmm. It is that's ultimately what breaks that open. That's ultimately what even those expressions are, right? Whether yeah. it's an encounter with the miraculous or it's a, you know, a word of knowledge or, you know, the ways that people pray or whatever else it is and how it comes together. I think at the end of the day, it, it ultimately is about an experience of love.
0: Mm, an experience of love. That's beautiful. Is there a um, because I don't want to give away too many spoilers or anything, but is there an experience either from the book or not that kind of embodies this for you, Sarah, of of one of those kinds of, one of those kinds of moments for you?
1: Um, You know, I think probably the one that jumps to my mind first is um, the story of my son and the way that he kind of reset my way of seeing prayer, Mm -hmm. um, which I write about a little bit in the book. But my experiences with prayer and the way that I was taught at prayer and the way that I have prayed in my life has run a gamut. I mean, I have gone long periods of giving God the silent treatment, long periods of feeling like God was giving me the silent treatment. Mm. Um, You know, and even the formulas of prayer, and especially coming out of, you know, more of a word of faith, you know, prosperity gospel, charismatic sort of background like I did, Mm -hmm. prayer often felt contractual. Sure. Right? It felt like this thing that you did in order to get. Um, that there were answers, you know. That that even a lot of times, I remember treating prayer in seasons of my life like me just yelling Bible verses at God and thinking that counted. You know? mm-hmm. And so the the ways that I have prayed and have learned about prayer and have encountered prayer have just run the gamut. I think because of our you know, this history and the ways even in our modern world we understand prayer, we understand what it's for and and all these types of things. But when my son was really um, very small, he had a teacher who used to use art um, to explore religious and, and, you know, areas of faith. And one day she called me into the office or we were sitting there at her, you know, desk in little, you know, kid chairs, little plastic, Mm. you know, school chairs. And uh, she said, I wanted to show you what Joseph drew today in class. And the topic was to draw a picture of what prayer is. And, you know, she showed me some of the ones from the other kids in the classroom. There were things like, um, you know, a list of things that they wanted, or the preacher, you know, praying over the congregation on a Sunday, or praying around, you know, the dinner table, um, you know, as a family, or their mom or dad saying, you know, but now I lay me prayer at bedtime so you know again totally normal was, you know understandings of prayer and then she turned around and showed me my son's picture of prayer and he had just drawn like our, our back deck and mm. he was sitting on it his hair is all sticky up and you know he has big black, black glasses on and he'd drawn a picture of Jesus um you know you know it's Jesus because it's like a white robe and a blue sash like every children's bible everywhere yes. I was just thankful that, like, he had drawn, he didn't draw Jesus with blonde hair. And That's blonde, great.
0: So we'll, we'll call him him.
1: <laughs> and it was just him and Jesus sitting beside each other holding hands. Mm. And they had these little cartoon bubbles above their head. And it was Jesus saying, I love you, Joseph. And then he would say, I love you, Jesus. And he would say, I love you, Joseph. And he would say, I love you, Jesus. And he had written on it, uh, Joe and his Jesus, this is how we pray.
2: Hmm.
1: And there was just something that cracked open in my heart then when it happened. But then years later, when I was in this uh, period after my car accident, in this period of exploring what I thought about healing and miracles and suffering and all this sort of stuff, where I came across that picture again and just had this very strong sense of... Uh, all those types of prayer still exist for me. Mm. You know, I'm still going to be praying about parking spots. I'm still going to be praying about world, world peace. I'm still going to be trying to get my way mm. in prayer. Like, all these things are still here and yeah. I'm still grappling with them for yeah. sure. But there was something about that sitting with Jesus image that mm. he had at such a young age that has just stayed with me and changed that. And so, um, those sorts of journeys are the ones that I wanted to make some room for. Of being able to say you know what does it look like to be surrounded and sustained by the love of God what does it look like to change how we view prayer from something contractual or um, if this then that Mm. to a place of abiding yeah and to me I feel like that changed so much for me and by the way I will add um, I am sharing all of this story with his full permission Mm.
0: It's a beautiful story. It's one of my favorites in the books. And, and maybe one of my favorite stories ever about prayer. I mean, just in terms mm-hmm. of like this idea of, you know, through the lens of a child. What, I almost thought like that's the best formulation of what I think is happening with the Trinity I've ever heard. Just this mutual right. nonstop just delight, delight, delight. You know, and right. you don't know where the, giving and receiving ends. And then we're, we're caught up in that constant reciprocity ourselves. And like, yeah. what? I, I love you. I love you. It's just, Oh, I, that just I, melted uh, me.
1: was a perichoresis right yes perichoresis is divine dance this Mm. thing going back and forth and you're involved and you're part of it as opposed to just being um a recipient or a observer of it that you are a full participant in in that love and Mm. that delight and that shalom happening i mean that to me is just incredibly beautiful
2: Mm.
1: uh, and insightful and i mean again just there's no end to the ways in which you know, my children will have taught me Hmm. about
0: the ways of God. So beautiful. You, that story is one of my favorites in the books and there in the book. And there's so many others that, that I love, but maybe to zoom out a little bit there. um, One of the things I find so fascinating and, and it it just feels so very real life to me. You know, it's like you, you write about your car accident. You write very vividly about pain. I mean, I, I read about the car accident and you could feel the the, the crunch I mean and you just it's very it's very raw but you know in the kind of Pentecostal churches I grew up in you're used to a certain kind of testimony and you get to certain places in the book because it does feel like in the kind of vernacular where I come from God shows up and oh. miracles do happen and uh, God does break in and there is still healing and we still do live in an enchanted world and all that And in the sort of formula for a testimony story, that's where it ends, kind of like
1: should end in part two.
0: Yeah, that's (laughs) yes. It's like you get to the wedding and they live happily ever after. Like this is the end of the story, and and yet that's part of where I think is so uniquely powerful about the book is that you write about these experiences, you have them. It's very inspiring, very beautiful, and all that. But that's not where the story ends for you. Is God showed up, God touches, God heals, and then everything is great.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that that was a part of what I wanted to press into, I think, because um, both of those things are real for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you do come from a tradition that is super happy for people to lead once they're in there after. Yeah. Right. Well, before I knew Jesus, I was broke. I did drugs. I did this. I did, you know, yes. Else. And then, you know, but now i met Jesus and mm-hmm. now I've got. You know, money and a smoking hot wife, and you know, purpose. <laughs> and yes. else, you know, it is that we yes. use to, you know, you know, act like these are the markers of God's love. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to explore this thing of what does it mean to, to experience and know and walk intimately with that sort of enchantment and wonder mm-hmm. and miracles, and and still hold space for the fact that, that those things are reality for me. Mm-hmm. And also not hmm. and also there's an after we don't oftentimes know what to do with people who are love god yeah. are faithful faithful disciples and yet suffer mm-hmm. and yet don't have the fullness that you would hope for them to have that don't experience on earth as it you know would be in heaven or whatever mm-hmm. else you want how you would want to put that mm-hmm. what does it mean to be faithful in that place what does it mean to understand and, and interact with the idea of I almost feel like sometimes for our tradition, it'd be easier if we if we were cessationist.
0: Mm, yeah. <laughs> if
1: we could be like, no, just God just doesn't do miracles.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, that's that in some ways would almost make things more straightforward. But mm-hmm. it's that holding that tension of saying, I still believe in miracles. I still believe in the supernatural. I still believe that these things are here, and also, God has done their best work with me in those low valleys, in those places of suffering. This is where I've met with God. This is where the intimacy with God was birthed. Um, This is a holy place. One of the things that um, I've thought about a lot in the last number of years, um, but especially the last few months since we lost uh, Rachel. Mm. Um, And I thought about it a lot, actually, um, when she was sick and she used to say this thing Um, I think she wrote about it a couple times but I remember her very clearly teaching it a number of times that one of the things that's so important for us in the church is to anoint each other's suffering and name it as holy Mm. to not that healing is not the same thing as curing Yeah. and I think in some ways maybe I was carrying those words of her as I was writing this book in ways that I didn't fully understand until now in this place of um, loss and grief Mm -hmm. um of just what, is, what does healing look like if we're not talking about curing?
2: Yeah.
1: If what we're talking about is renewal and restoration mm-hmm. and anointing each other's suffering and naming it precious to mm-hmm. God, what does that look like?
0: Mm-hmm. That's, that's so beautiful. And I thought about, I mean, I think, you know, like you, I'm thinking about Rachel all the time these days, and I don't know when you finish the manuscript, but I'm assuming thinking that a lot of that happened after the fact and how that must, before we even get to that, though, Sarah, I'm wondering, like, how, even for you personally, what, what do you make of the way in which, like, that God sometimes does show up in a way that might heal as cure, in a way that brings resolution or whatever, but then doesn't? Like, what do you do with that, that you have those times where there does seem to be some way that heaven seems to touch earth, and things are rearranged, and the circumstance change, or whatever. And then these other times where, with the same formula, the same prayers, the same faithful hope and expectation, that that nothing moves. Like what? What do you do with that?
1: Um, I get. It. I think like a lot of people. I mean, there's things that you feel and that you you know in your heart or in your mind, but your body rebels against. Mm-hmm. your sense of fairness rebels against um that's one of the things i think i grapple with most um within our tradition even though there are so many aspects of it that i'm grateful for and i find incredibly precious good gifts that i've carried with me throughout my i hope my whole entire life Mm -hmm. um but that's one of i think the most damaging is this idea that um That these are a marker of God's grace or favor Mm. or blessing on some people versus others. Um, And I hold that tension and I hold that place. And I think, especially, you know, if it's not theoretical, right? I think that for a lot of times you Mm. can sit on the cusp of that, you know, in your pub with your IPA, throwing atonement theories around, but you are not really fully engaged in what that he is and yes. I think the thing that I've come to um, in these last number of years, uh, particularly again, just this is the thing I keep circling around over and over and over again, is that it's Emmanuel, it's God with us. Mm. That it's not God only with the people who are winning and God only with the people who are healed and only with the people who have the great testimony and only Mm -hmm. with the people who are ticking all the boxes of what we think a good Christian should look like or be like or speak like or whatever else or have experiences the way that we think that they should. Um, It is God with us. It is God with us, whether we are at someone's bedside or we are at the side of someone's casket or we are broke or we are sad or we are suffering. Wherever places these are, these are the tender places of of Jesus. These are the places I feel where We have forgotten that it's this is why God with us is such a miracle. Yeah. This is why Emmanuel is such a miracle. It's God with us in these places, not just when we are on the mountaintops. That this is the thing that I have grappled with and fought with and probably will continue to, but also the thing I rest in. Yeah. The thing that I relax into, the thing I abide within, which is God is here. Mm. And we were not afraid. Yes. God was here. God is here.
0: And it's God with us. Sarah, as you, and I feel like you, so many people, and I'm one of them, are able to receive those words from you that God is with us and that God is here. Um, Mentioning Rachel a couple moments ago, um, being part of Evolving Faith last year was so special for me, this space that you and Rachel cultivated and that is... The space that's still being held. I'm um, very much excited to be there this year and support you. I'm so thrilled. We talked about CeCe, or Jones Davis, our teaching pastor, is going to be preaching. I'm excited about that because she's just you know astonishingly gifted, and we love her. Oh, I can't but wait. I love that. I love that space that you guys created so much. It's such a it's such a testimony to everything that everything that Rachel embodied, her life, her legacy, and um, I'm I'm curious, Sarah, because. I feel like you, like in, like me in a lot of ways, it's like you seem to have this calling towards this, um, if that's a word, the sort of disillusioned, disenfranchised daughters and sons of the church. A lot of people who have lost faith, rejected faith, losing faith, any and all kinds of places in the journey. I know a lot of people who read you, who listen to you, who are either hanging on by a thread or maybe wouldn't even necessarily say that they're hanging on at all, but they still find what you say to be credible. And I'm just curious, like, what it's like for you or what it means for you as a person of faith who does still find God to be present, but to be among many people for whom, um, who, who don't find God to be present, who don't see it that way, who aren't finding a, a way to hang on right now.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, last year was amazing and evolving faith and having you there and having your presence and your pastoral giftings and just even being there and doing it together was just a ball Mm. right i mean just in so many ways it was just life-giving and you know far exceeded anything we could have imagined i think Mm. that we both kind of (laughs) left last year and we're left looking at each other being like what the hell
0: yes (laughs) yeah absolutely
1: what what have we done yeah and so in a lot of ways um you know, I think that that was one of the things that we realized, even on our feet and on the on the ground in that place of discerning who we are, what this means, who's all here in the room. Hmm. Um, and I think that that's one of the things that, you know, I, speaking for myself, um, I don't need everybody to be the same as me. Yeah. And I don't need to... Invalidate someone else's experiences to know mine. Yeah, and I think that sometimes that's a, a rare thing in religion or in any times of faith. We often think, well, if if this is true for me, then it has to be true for everybody. Mm. Um, the other thing I think in those spaces, and part of why I feel very called to shepherd and pastor in in that capacity, um, is because I'm not afraid for them. Mm. And I hope that people can sense. And, and take courage from or or even a, a, an exhale for a minute because I'm not afraid Yeah. I have such confidence and rest and knowing in the love of God that it is mm. wider and more welcoming and inclusive and generous um, and, and, and muscular
2: mm-hmm.
1: than we have maybe been taught yes. and there's no part of me that thinks that you're ever not held by that love mm. And so even if your labels might change or what you call it or how you experience it or how it shows up in your life on a daily basis or how you practice it or how you speak about it or even how you don't, that at the end of the day, I, I firmly believe that you know there's no place you can outrun and hide from even, even though I make my bed in the depths of hell, yeah. they are already there. Mm-hmm. And so having that sort of confidence, I think understanding too, I think one of the things that a lot of people... Maybe of our generation, I don't know that this is, I don't think it's just exclusive to us, mainly because there are so many people in the room who are of a different generation than I am. Right. um, Both younger and older. Sure. Um, Is that we can sometimes think that we're supposed to think the same thing always. Yeah. (laughs) You know, we can think that if you're truly faithful or if you are a true Christian, that you'll never change your mind about things Mm -hmm. or that you'll never evolve or that you'll never shift. And so we think that if we don't get to believe this particular version of Christianity or the story of Jesus that we believed then, well, then that means it's nothing. Mm -hmm. I've got to burn it all down. Mm -hmm. You know, I've got to walk away from it. I've got to, it it doesn't exist then any longer. And there's, you know, sometimes some hubris or some um, pride to that. Mm. which I think is entirely, you know, developmentally normal and spiritual formation, you know, language. It is normal to think that your version is the only version. Right. <laughs> you know? yes. And I think that there's something really healing about being able to lift up your eyes and be like, oh, no, wait, actually, look. Yeah. There's a lot of different ways to follow follow God. There's a lot of different ways to be faithful. Mm. There's a lot of different ways to and be a peacemaker in the world and embody shalom and to draw near to God. And maybe this way that I've outgrown or that I've, you know doesn't fit me quite as well any longer that doesn't mean that there's still not room for me in this story mm. and that it's not still mine and that I was see. something that rachel and i wanted so much to lean into with evolving faith was even this idea of reclaiming and saying no we get these things too yeah we still get words like resurrection and we get words mm. we get words like sacrament Oof. we want everybody around the table we get mm. we get you know we get these things too they're still ours that's our birthright mm-hmm. still we don't have to leave all these things behind. I mean, one of the critiques we often got from Evolving Faith was that it was this, like, super Christian.
2: <laughs> mm, interesting.
1: <laughs> Which, you know, I think it's a fair critique because we were left looking at each other. And I think now and Jeff and the, uh, Chu in the same capacity, who's we added to our team as a, as a leader as well, yeah. and we're leading the next one with me. Um, I mean, we're super Jesus-y. There's just no way around it. You know, we we were. I mean, this was always our story. This was always who we wanted to be. And I think that having space, though, for people who don't have that same experience and don't feel that same way without a demand that they be the same as us Mm -hmm. um, is something I want to do better at.
0: Hmm. I love that, Sarah. And I think, you know, it. not that I have been tried to diagnose this, but in terms of the kind of influence and connection that you have with people who are at so many different places of a faith journey. That is, that is the thing for me. It's like you have no anxiety about where they are, or where they're going to land. There's no anxiety whatsoever. And I honestly think, I don't know if it's quite, I've never thought about it this way before, but in some ways I feel like that's almost the very definition of a spiritual father or mother. It's like if you have no anxiety <laughs> about where people are gonna land, that's that then you provide that kind of space. And I think people are looking for that kind of space. And when they really sense that there's no judgment or there's no prescription here that like if you know, if you land here and not there, then you're in with us or not. Like and that's that is part of what I find so extraordinary about evolving faith. It's thoroughly Jesus-y, yes, you know. But there is also something very Open-ended about it, and it does feel like there's space created for all kinds of folks. I, um, I didn't know if today I was going to ask about um, Rachel. I mean, I know that's so tender for all of us. I tell you what, I'd love to ask if this is okay. As always, anything can be edited, but because um, I know, like, just as a as a friend, flesh and blood, like, all the emotions are still fresh and there's so much you have to still be grappling with. But I tell you what, a question I've thought about so much, like when you've heard me talk a lot about Sister Margaret Gaines, I assume, who was such a mentor to me. And I'll never will forget when my friend Dr. Ricky Moore, who's my Old Testament professor, who um, also was really mothered by Sister Gaines when she died. And I had the opportunity to sit around a table with my mom and dad and Dr. Moore um, and this was so special. He literally was sitting in between all of us. And one by one, he ran around the table, and eyeball to eyeball, he asked us, and this was, like, right after her funeral in Bell City, Alabama. He asked us, what part of Sister Gaines' mantle do you feel called to pick up? Like, what part of her mantle do you feel like is is left with you? And I'm, and now, especially as you've been working through the grief and kind of been in the aftermath for a few months, um, I'd love to ask you some version of that question, like what, what part of the mantle, what part of her life or legacy do you feel like God is calling you to embody in this time?
1: Um, that's a good question. Uh, it's one that I think that a lot of us who had our lives uh, impacted by Rachel's voice and her work um, are asking um, ourselves and each other. I think that she was a singular uncommon soul yes and in a lot of ways um there's no one like there was no one like her and um i don't know that there will be again. Mm-hmm. uh just the remarkable gifts and authenticity and anointing that was on her and on her life um mm-hmm. and there was a mantle of anointing on her um I think that some of the things that I have taken away in this last little while is a a deep understanding that that mantle is wide and -hmm. generous and that it will will rest on a generation that we won't fully understand yet, the impact, Mm -hmm. Um, the way her words and her ministry and things reached out to so many different people. I think everyone is picking up something. Uh, I think one of the biggest things that I would say is not necessarily even that I feel called to pick up. or, or maintain her legacy or her gifts. Um, I don't know that I could make that presumption. I feel very tender about the spaces that we cultivated together, the people we liked to serve yeah. together, um, wanting to shepherd them well and look after them. Um, but I think some of the things I have felt more in these months is um, the call of Rachel's mm. ministry in life. Uh, the things that she believed so strongly in, um, mm-hmm. it has made me stronger in a lot of ways I felt, and I don't know if this is going to make that podcast or not, this is probably not <laughs> necessarily helpful to anybody. But, um... In a lot of ways, when we worked together and, you know, whether it was Evolving Faith or even in the, you know, we often were writing alongside of each other and, and you know, grappling with similar topics mm-hmm. at the same time and on kind of a similar trajectory in a work perspective, I felt sometimes like I got to seed the, um, the ground of heat and confrontation and conflict and thinking to her. Yeah. Um, you know, someone once kind of joked that she was like the head of how things ran and I was the heart of it Mm. right like I was always just kind of like that warmer more maternal you know kind of you know presence in a lot of those conversations Mm. or things that we were doing um I feel really lonely without her at my side I feel Mm. like I the things that she was good at i I miss um, and so I feel a greater call and challenge to step into those places, um, not in an effort to pick up her mantle or to replace her, but more in this sense of uh, fullness and wholeness for all of us. If I need to do, for, for instance, telling the truth, being honest, um, leaning more, you know, in a more healthy way into conflict and into confrontation, um, being more unafraid. You know, those are things that, that I've learned from her, and I hope mm. that I can carry
0: carry forward for sure. Mm. That's beautiful, Sarah. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, knowing knowing all that's very tender. And I tell you what, I think um, it's one of the things that make me so grateful for evolving faith and the fact that that's that that's moving forward in the way it is. Because I just continue to talk to people for whom, like, the fact that that kind of space is being carved out is making such a difference and continues to make a difference and so i'm just I'm just very grateful, Sarah, for um, all the things that you embody, and I, and that there is this this tenderness, but also this very prophetic, I feel like boldness that's that's on you and um, I just love all that. Um, I'm not trying to keep things like in a super sad vein, but we talked about just before we got uh, into this today formally when I was driving I was driving most of the day yesterday to get to Houston when I came in last night. Is when I read the news about Jared Wilson passing away, and um, you know, I didn't know Jared super well, but would definitely would consider him a friend, and um, feel like I've still been just just reeling from that today. Um, you know, just that kind that kind of despair, um, tasting something of that kind of depression, the idea of kind of being. Stuck in that place. I mean, he spoke so powerfully to those things and so vulnerably to those things. So you know, I'm I'm grappling with that. First and foremost, just so sad and so sorry, and praying for his family. Um, I don't know, Sarah. I just I don't know if if you would have anything just that you want to share for people who are out there who also are grappling with that same who are in that same kind of long night because I think sometimes like when you're when you're in the thick of it it does feel like it's an ending and it doesn't feel like it's necessarily and I I have no judgment for anybody who ever gets to that place. I think the world can feel just unrelenting on so many levels and there's so many different things that go into the cocktail of depression chemically and uh, just in just in terms of life so, I don't know. Just for other people who might be kind of in that sort of space and and grappling with that, uh, with that same kind of pressure. I just is there anything you you'd like to speak into that?
1: You know, I'm just so incredibly sad about Jared and for his family and his sons and their community and all the people who loved him. I you know knew him. You know, through the ways that we kind of know a lot of people these Mm -hmm. days, right, just in social media, and we exchange some messages here and there. Um, I think that the things that Jared stood for are a good guide even now. Yeah. You know, the ways that he taught, the ways that he led, the ways that he spoke about these things. Um, I think probably one of the most sad aspects. Um, in the last number of years is this belief that, you know, if you are Jesus y enough, you won't suffer. Right. Um, and that somehow particular mental illness is like a different thing. Yes. You know, physiologically and you know, that it's a spiritual thing instead of something that's that's actually happening. Mm And I think this, the work that Jared did was so valuable and that so many other mental health advocates and people who have, you know, just a tremendous amount of experience in all of this. I think the only thing that I would want to say in the midst of all of this, um, or to people who are in the midst of that long night of the soul Hmm. and it's. I mean, it's hard to say without sounding trite. And I, I, I get weary about people saying, you know, ask for help, reach out for help, put your hand mm. up, because people are, right? And oftentimes we're dismissing, and it doesn't matter sometimes yeah. how much you reach out for help. Um, the love of God is there.
2: Mm.
1: That, That surrounding and sustaining um, mm. love of God is not absent from you when the night is dark. Hmm that oftentimes those places of most loneliness, I believe that, that Jesus was with him mm. in that moment. Yes. And is with him even now. Yes, um, I long for a different outcome for that story. It's very disorienting. Upsetting. Grief is very real for so many. And I also, I, I mean, speaking personally as someone who lost someone who they deeply loved this year, yeah. I even get irritated when people try to Turned it into a lesson really quick. Sure. Right? Like the hot takes and the here's the things to learn from and, you know, whatever else. I just, I feel like this is still a time for grief. Yeah. Still a time for holding that space, for lighting candles, for praying for his wife and his children and not seeking to wrestle meaning out of it just yet. Mm. And to check on each other and love one another and keep reiterating and embodying that love towards each other.
0: Yes. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that, and I I, just, I think that that is so important just to hold that space for grieving, and also just that word that um, you know that the that the love of God is very much there and present in those spaces. That was kind of um, I wrote a little prayer because it's kind of all I know to do when I'm processing things, just to write and just this. I just so believe you know that you know what David says in the Psalms that if we make our bed in hell, that God is there and there's no place that God is not, and I just think that. Sometimes that's all we do have to cling to, cling to is this. Idea. there's no place that God is not. And I don't believe for a moment that there's any sort of moment of despair. I don't think that suicide or any other moment is so somehow dark or whatever that it's somehow beyond the reach of God. Of course it's not beyond God's presence. And uh, I just... It, it just... You know, I feel like so often that for a lot of folks who get in those kind of moments it's like you you're already grappling with a thing, but then especially if you're in a certain kind of Christian culture and environment, then there's all this then you then you have all this pressure that there's something wrong with you because of the thing that you're feeling, like, you know, that there must be some fundamental disconnection with God, or maybe there's some kind of sin, or maybe there's some kind of whatever, if you believed harder, there's something like, oh, that just compounds all that, that makes it something that's so...
1: It's a millstone around the neck.
0: That's right. That's right. Yeah, and that just that just grieves me so much that for folks that that already that the things that are already like so hard that then carry all that baggage and complications instead of this idea that the loving presence of God is there and accessible and available, that there's all these other kind of like hoops that are there, and if you really believed hard enough, and if you quoted the verse enough times, or if you know if you clicked your heels together three times, then you you would somehow be able to wish this away, and that's just not true. It's just not how it works. No, it's
1: not. And I think that sometimes, I, I mean. It, it, in a lot of ways, I felt like some of what I've been grappling with these last number of years is retraining my eyes for those sorts of, of miracles that I would have missed because I was so focused on the big, hairy, wonderful things. Yeah. Um, holding space for those things is, it can be a burden of its own, mm. but then there's those miracles of things like therapy and yeah. medication and Mm -hmm. counseling appointments and community and doctors and you know all the different ways where the love of God meets that tender place in us and there's so many different avenues um, to what that can look like Mm -hmm. and being so narrow and restrictive in our definitions and understandings of miracles or encounters with with God. Um, I think sometimes don't do us any favors because mm-hmm. I miss these bloody corporal physical miracles of right. presence and, and of abiding with each other and of um, things that are less glamorous but down in the dirt miracles um, that we don't celebrate enough. Those ones to me are the ones that are more reasonable. Those are the ones that I want to lean into. Those are the ones I want to celebrate and honor and be able to say like just looking at the miracle of Jared's life Yes. And all the goodness and gifts that he brought to so many, um, you know, I think that there's a, a real gratitude for his legacy as well.
0: Yes, yes, and a whole life that's lived in hope. Uh, you know, a, li- a whole life that's lived in hope. That's that that's mm-hmm. what a leg- it is, legacy that's left from that. You know, moments of despair don't define a life that's been lived and sown in hope in every way. That's so that's so beautiful but I, I i don't know sir i just feel like that can't be said enough that, that like that anything that anything that brings comfort anything that brings strength anything that brings lightness or ease of spirit community beauty goodness those are miracles like every single time like you know like every bite of something that tastes good every connection every s- that that you feel, a uh, text message from a friend, uh, well, like like anything that makes you feel human and alive, that makes you feel seen or known, like all those things really are miracles, and all those things are tapping into something that is divine and that's beautiful. And you know, I don't know, I just but and I, and I love again not to bring it too full circle like in a neat way, but with your book, how much there is a sense of that. Like there are these special moments, yes, where maybe the ground beneath you shifts, and that's awesome when that happens. But these these are miracles. These are miracles too.
1: Right. I think that that's one of the things that maybe we misunderstood is we thought miracles would make us more divine, less human. Yes. Like we should just not have any of these experiences of what it means to be human or, or what it means to suffer or what it means to just live, live your life. Yeah, and and I think that that's the thing that I'm wanting to recapture. This. My husband is a huge fan of Wendell Berry, and yeah, usually usually always has some form of Wendell Berry open on on whatever else. Mm. And there was this interview where we talked about how you know in the mass globalization and the mass dehumanization Mm. of whether it's because of technology or because of violence or because of the political, you know. the stuffer or the, the powers and principalities even of racism and homophobia mm-hmm. and sexism and patriarchy and these things that dehumanize us and hit us against one another what do you say in the midst of all that and his answer was just really simple of saying i do the things that make me more human
0: mm, wow
1: and that to me is something <sighs> incredibly holy i mean again it gets into this yeah. whole thing of you know the body and of your soul and all these you know the, the unity and those things. But even being able to have those sort of connections, I think that it's leaning into what makes you more human. Mm-hmm. It's not leaning away from those things. And sometimes miracles can make us lean away from what makes us human. Yes. It's away from then what connects us to each other. And then what that's also what connects us to God. Mm-hmm. That your humanity is not a liability and connected to right. God. That this is actually the, the altar. This is the place, you know you are not alone for a ride for your soul yeah and so being able to lean into those practices like you were saying whether it's good food or mm-hmm. you know uh embrace or you know good conversations or the bread and the wine or singing loud at the top of your lungs or going for a long walk mm-hmm. if you're evil or you know all these different places like the things that make you more human mm-hmm. are then expanding the altar where you're meeting with the spirit
0: yes oh that's beautiful I love that so much. Yeah, I'm just like, if it humanizes you more, if it taps into your human, like, I have to think that's divine. Like, whatever puts right. you more in touch with your, your humanity ultimately well, like is what connects us to other. divinity. Yes, that's right.
1: Like, what part of us, I mean, the mm. things that we love about each other are the things that make us, like, I can adore and worship a hero. Yeah. But I connect with people. Yeah. Right? And that's even what connects us, our stories, these things, that what makes us human is how we are together. Mm-hmm.
0: Right? Mm -hmm. That's wonderful, Sarah.
1: You do that so beautifully.
0: Well, thank you for saying that. I was going to say, Sarah, really, not to, you know, again, not trying to put a bow on things, but I really, um, I I talk, I feel like I talk about you so much in a wonderful way, just in terms of, because I feel like there just aren't, I know that we're peers sort of insofar that I I think we kind of started around the same time, kind of doing public ministry and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it, it's a it's a strange I, I still don't even know how to describe it. It's a weird, nichey little space that we occupy and a nichey little thing that we do. And precisely because it's such a strange little niche, I have no idea if I'm getting it right, if it matters, if it's doing any good or whatever. And I'm telling you, more times than I can count, uh, that I've looked over that that I've read words of yours, that I've seen things that you were doing was like Okay. All right. I, I don't. I don't think I'm. I, I don't think I've completely lost it yet. You know, like you've been yeah. such a God uh, to me, such a source still, of encouragement. we
1: totally off the rails. Yeah, yeah. Hundred percent. Feel the
0: same. Or maybe like, <laughs> like 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 if we're completely off the rails, and at least we're off the rails together. She's like, I'm not the only one. I'm not the only <laughs> one. You know. So. <laughs> <laughs> one of these
1: days, we really do need to do our Holy Ghost tour that we kept
0: talking about. Listen. I hate to even talk about it because you know, people are gonna ask, but I'm like, you know, this whole idea of the Holy Ghost Roadshow, Sarah, I'm see. what are these <laughs> years?
1: Well
0: <laughs> well see, here's here's my theory about that. The Holy Ghost Roadshow actually was gonna happen. But see, then this little experimental thing called evolving faith happened, and that's not turned out so bad. So I kinda of think with the evolving faith deal, that there may not be the need right now for like peripheral other, you know.
1: We'll just we'll just keep it tucked
0: back in our hearts. Well I'm just saying i am i am ready to go i'm ready whenever you know, so just know like your your pentecostal north carolina whatever like i'm ready to go you know so I, know,
1: I mean i can't
0: preach like you but i can hang oh you can oh you absolutely can hang and even at the end of evolving faith all that prophesying stuff you're I was like good grief what what's even happening right now that was amazing so like,
1: <laughs> Man, we, have, we have
0: way too much fun <laughs> we would have such a good wouldn't we we would have such a good time
1: i know well i think that that's part of the fun of this season of ministry and life that i think we've kind of stumbled onto is just like it's so much more fun together yes it's fun when we're cheering each other on it's fun like i've never been in an environment like that where i mean i mean we've both done our time at these large conferences and things yeah usually you would show up and you kind of preach your section and you're kind of gone yeah right like but The way that like everybody stood on the front row Mm -hmm. and was like egging each other on. Yeah. Dr. Gaffney's running across the stage to congratulate Austin on her sermon. (laughs) (laughs) Like the fun and the camaraderie Mm. and the sense of like Oh, we're in it together. We don't have to do this life alone. We don't have to work alone. We don't have to sit around yeah. feeling so isolated and crazy and especially I think because these sorts of seasons of wilderness are deeply isolating. That's right. Right. You end up like sometimes from your faith community or from your family yes. origin or from Friendships or, yes. or even leaders who used to minister to you. And so it can feel very lonely and isolating. Mm. And so when we find each other out here in the wilderness and we're like, right. you're here too. yeah," And we can do this together. And yeah. it's really great. And we don't have to be so alone. It feels really wonderful and good. Yes. And like a miracle.
0: It does feel like a miracle. Because that's the common thread, isn't it? Everybody... Has had some sort of significant loss of community. Almost everybody I know right now, some really significant loss of a sense of people and of belonging and the fact that then, like, you know, people who weren't a people now are a people and you got a sense that there is a place for you and that you can belong somewhere. That is well, truly a right. There's a sermon in there.
1: Would you please preach that? I'll
0: abs- <laughs> I, oh, I will. I will preach. I will preach all about Would that. Please? I, I will absolutely <laughs> preach that. <laughs> Sarah I do um, I do love it when you pray and in whatever direction you want to go because I know we talk about other things I would love it just if you would pray for us for those perhaps for those folks who right now are still in that place of displacement and trying to figure out where they belong which again I feel like is most all of us in some level right now but whatever direction you feel like the spirit would lead you I just um, and it's you know it's so such a trademark for what you do I feel like even on Twitter, Instagram, wherever you are it's, is, uh, and I think probably if you're like me I like, like, I love that Brian reads so much Wendell Berry. I am intellectually suspicious of digital spaces, and then feel called to create these kinds of digital spaces, which is so. I don't know how that works, <laughs> but I feel like you I do know, that I feel too. You know, we're like
1: a yin and yang for each other. That's right. Not even, I love that. <laughs> you know, and, and so it's a good balance because then at the end of the day, if he comes to me, and he's like, "Hey, how was your day?" I don't get to be like, "Well, this guy on Twitter."
0: yes. <laughs> right, yes.
1: Let me tell you what happened on Twitter. Yes. <laughs> It's a good counterbalance.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. absolutely. Somebody has to keep you talking about thinking about the soil, right? (laughs) As I'm out out making pesto from the garden. Yes, yes.
1: Oh, no, I'd love to pray for you and for your folks and for everybody who's listening. I mean, just this is a really sacred space that you cultivated and created here for people. And I just see the good work that is happening here and the healing and the freedom and the um, Release and exhale. This safe—I uh, don't want to say safe. I don't really love the word safe. I feel like it, usually God's very dangerous. Mm. Um, the sanctuary of it.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. But this is a. This can be also holy ground. Yeah. So I just love that you created it and made the space and put in the time and just really grateful to be able to have a chat.
0: Mm. Well, thank you for taking the time to be here. So it really is an honor for us. It's certainly an honor for me.
1: All right. Well, let's pray. Mm. God, here we are, and we bring all of ourselves to you. There is no part of us that is separate from the work that you are doing in the world, from your love. All of our story, our history, our past, the things that shaped us and made us, the things that we want to lay down, the things that we know we need to pick up, the ways that we are opening up our eyes and our hearts and having our hearts even broken. We invite you into these places. Yes. We do not know always how you are moving or where to discern what to do or how to move forward. We ask that you would make our lives an altar where we meet with you. That the most tender and broken Mm -hmm. and weary places of us, that our bruises would become a place of anointing. And that Mm -hmm. in this way, in some Weird, divine, good, mystical, homely sort of way Hmm. that you would meet with us here. Hmm. I pray that we would be a people who would lean further into what it means to be a person, what it means to be human, what it means to invite you and open ourselves up to the ways that you abide in our darkness, in our hiddenness. Holy Spirit, would you breathe? new life into these places. We trust you. In some small way, I pray that we would be able to open our hands and unclench our fist, unlock our jaw, tip our head back, and say, here I am. And isn't that a miracle? We love you. May you give us an understanding and a revelation, even just a glimpse of the way that you love all of us, but us particularly too.
0: In the name of the Creator and the Son and the Spirit, one God, Mother of us all. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Sarah. That was beautiful. So appreciate the time. It's. just such a privilege to have you here. I want absolutely everybody to read this book. So miracles and other reasonable things is out of October the. <laughs> You're an even
1: better hype man than my mom in that sense.
0: Hey, Mama Styles is serious too. She's all over it.
1: She's not here to play.
0: <laughs> no, she doesn't play, but I don't either. I love this book, and um, so it's October the. Eighth. Eighth. Yeah. So everybody has to get the and, book. And
1: I should say, too, we actually have a live stream for Evolving Faith as well. So oh, if yes. So people are able to come this year, okay. they could still go to evolvingfaithconference.com and okay. sign up for the live stream and be able to be a part, even in just in that Great. You know, capacity. For people who can't travel or just weren't able to get there, I mean, we'd love to have as many people part of that as we can.
0: Is uh, registration still open for the live site?
1: Yeah, for the okay. Live
0: stream. Okay, is. cool. Yeah. That's great. Good. Perfect. Yeah, I'm
1: yeah, excited I, to see you. I good. can't
0: wait to see you there. And um, you know, as I know, he said hello earlier, but since he's not in the room right now, Mark Lowry sends his love. So, uh, <laughs> since I. <laughs> I
1: never get over that moment when i literally preached a mary new message while he was sitting in the front row yes
0: isn't that great the person who wrote mary did you know that's pretty amazing he
1: literally wrote mary did you know i got up there and preached i'm like mary new
0: that's right mary new that's great you did you preached mary (laughs) new that's so awesome that is epic that needs to be a whole essay sarah that's so good
1: oh my gosh i came over and i was like wait a minute i didn't make this connection it would have been more baller if i would have done
0: that's right that's right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that is really genius sarah i love it <laughs> well this has been awesome i'm so glad we get to hang out and what a perfect day that i get to hang out with my friend sarah bessie d- d- during the day and i'm going to see the national tonight so i'm having a really really good day so oh, it's pretty awesome really, it's, it's just all
1: good all good all right well have a wonderful time tonight oh thank you so much I friend everything.
0: i look forward to seeing you in just a few weeks at evolving faith i can't wait all right
1: sounds good
0: thank you sarah